0: Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. And may be found on page 682 of your pew Bible. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, his food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The word of the Lord.
1: Our New Testament lesson on this Easter Sunday morning comes from Luke's gospel. Um, It comes from the 20... I'm going to start at the 23rd chapter, uh, the 54th verse, and then I will read through the 12th verse of the 24th chapter. So listen now for the word of God to the church. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning... The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this past week, as word spread around the world that the cathedral at Notre Dame was burning, and as we watched the dramatic footage of the spire collapsing down, the overwhelming response was sadness. There was a deep sense of loss as this well-known artifact of our collective Christian heritage went up in flames. And as the shock subsided and as it appeared that the news was not going to be as bad as we had feared that it might be, people got a little philosophical and they began to ask some questions. Questions like, how important is a building? How much value can be ascribed to a particular place? And these questions are not easy to answer. Take this building, for example. It has stood in this location since 1854. And I am sure that many of you, as you donned your Easter finest to come to church this morning, took great comfort in the fact that you were coming to this particular place to sit in this particular building where so many generations have celebrated so many Easters over the years. Particular places can and do take on deep spiritual significance. Less than a week after the fire, for example, France has already received pledges of more than a billion dollars for renovation of the cathedral. That is how much spaces and buildings can mean to us. At the same time, we deny that the presence of God can ever be limited to particular spaces. The prophet Ezekiel shares a powerful vision that he received from God when he saw the power of the glory of God bursting up out of the temple and taking flight out to the east in a mighty chariot, as if to prove to the entire world that God will not be contained by the work of any human hands. The Gospels also speak of the curtain in the Holy of Holies, the centralmost part of the temple in Jerusalem, being mystically torn from top to bottom at the very moment when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. When we as Presbyterians talk about worship space, we recognize yes, Jesus worshiped at the synagogue and worshiped at the temple, but he also worshiped in the wilderness, on hillsides, at lake shores. The important thing we say is not the place, but the gathering of Christ's body, the people of God, and the presence of Christ among them in word and sacrament. Space that is set apart for worship, we say, is not to be an escape from the world, but a place for encountering the God of all creation who gathers us in and sends us out. So again, we're left with a very perplexing question. How important is a place to our life of faith? It's one of the questions I was definitely asking myself when I traveled to Jerusalem back in 2008 to see the tomb of Jesus for myself, and it looked nothing like the tomb that the women who loved Jesus would have seen. This tomb, which is contained within the medieval cathedral known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, was a rectangular enclosure of red granite stacked several stories high, and covered with elaborate Coptic inscriptions. It was adorned with massive pedestal candles, some of which were 20-plus feet high, and then also covered with smaller votive candles and oil lamps in red glass holders held with gold chains. It was and is quite a place, but it was certainly not the tomb that I had always imagined as I read the gospel narratives perhaps not the tomb that you would imagine when you read those narratives. I had always imagined a dusty, rocky landscape, a large stone that looked so heavy, an open door in the hillside, a space crudely hewn out of the rock of that hillside, now mysteriously and miraculously empty. certainly never imagined this ornate edifice that I was seeing with pilgrims and tourists lined up all around me, waiting for their turn to duck inside and catch a glimpse of that old, old story for themselves. It didn't seem like the place, and yet this was the place, the place that Christendom had landed upon in the year 326 as the site of Jesus' actual tomb. I guessed I would just have to trust Constantine's mom on this one. That's who actually picked out the location and said where the church would be. So I waited there in the center of Jerusalem's old city, waited with hundreds of my brothers and sisters, literally, from all over the world, waiting for my own chance to walk in and see just as those women from Galilee had done thousands of years before. Step by step, as I inched closer to that open door, what I wanted to feel was anticipation. But what I felt like I was actually feeling was a little bit of disappointment. There was just such a disconnect between the tomb of my imagination and the tomb that was real. And I wanted to be wowed. I had come to be inspired, but I found instead what seemed to me, at least, to be just another Christian tourist trap, lit up with oil lanterns and laced with grand hopes that through the years had gone largely unmet and unsatisfied. Maybe this is pretty close to what those men felt when the women came running home with news that the tomb was empty. Nobody believed them at first. Don't tell us he's alive, they said. We saw him die. You saw him die. We saw him laid in the tomb. You saw him lying in the tomb. We saw the door rolled, closed, and sealed. The women's story, they said, was an idol tale. And that Greek word idol meant something to the effect of silly, showy but ultimately useless. And that's sort of what I felt like I was looking at, looking at this medieval homage to a rustic tomb. It seemed to me a bit of an idle tale. And then my turn came to enter down into the tomb, and I ducked through the low door, and I entered into the first of the two chambers that are inside. The initial area is called the Chapel of the Angel. And it houses a a relic, a piece of rock, which is said to have been chipped away from the stone that was originally rolled away from the tomb that first Easter morning. And then at the back of that tiny chapel was another little doorway, a very little doorway. It couldn't have been more than three or three and a half feet tall. And this door, crafted out of carved white marble, covered again with Coptic inscriptions, forms the entrance to the inner sanctum of the Holy Sepulchre. It's as close to the Holy of Holies as we have in Christendom. So I leaned over and I crouched down and I eased my way into the place that we claim to be, the tomb of Jesus. The whole room was about two yards long, And one yard wide. It seemed crowded with just two people inside. And to the right, there was a small stone slab where tradition says Christ's body was laid. It's surrounded by ornate candlesticks, candles, oil lamps. And I touched the slab, and I did say a brief prayer there. Because what else was there to do? And then I crouched back down to exit the tomb, and as I did, I cracked my head on that low door <laughs> so bad. I'm saying I didn't just bump my head. I mean, I almost knocked myself out in the tomb of Jesus. I was this close to be carted, being carted out of there uh, on a stretcher from the tomb of Jesus, And as I limped my way through the chapel of the angel and back out into the church, I could already feel this big knot coming up on the top of my head. And it occurred to me that God might be trying to tell me something. (laughs) And I'm still searching for exactly what that was. But I do want to share with you one thing that I have taken away from that which is something that I hope that we can all share as we all come to the tomb on this Easter morning. I expect that all of us awoke this morning with some wonderful expectations. We anticipated perhaps some new inspiration, some awareness that the Easter dawn may bring us for the first time. And I would say that some of us may well be experiencing just that kind of blessing today. And thanks be to God for that gift. But I also suspect that some of us here are already perceiving a distance between the Easter we imagine and hope for and the Easter that we really experience. Some of you may have heard the difficult news this morning that three churches in Sri Lanka were bombed this Easter morning and some hotels as well. Those blasts were coordinated to occur during morning worship services. 138 people are dead, 560 people are wounded. So reality sweeps in even on an Easter Sunday with a reminder that even today, death, our oldest enemy, contends against the life that God brings. And we may have dressed Easter up with elaborate decorations and rituals. We may have hung pretty candles and lanterns all over it. We may have surrounded it with pomp and circumstance. But at the end of the day, the real Easter is still the one that happened in a dusty, rocky, desolate place. A cemetery where a rough-hewn tomb was broken open and God refused to surrender life to death. So perhaps you woke up this morning wanting desperately to believe and follow with confidence or in a new way, but you have been frustrated by that hope in the past. It's a place that you just haven't been able to get to, no matter how hard you try. And it may even be for you that this whole story of resurrection and faith and new life seems to you an idle tale, a nice story maybe, an intriguing possibility maybe, but ultimately, at least in your experience, something a little useless when confronted with the reality of life. And living in this world. In the face of that doubt, in spite of the power that death still has in this world, Easter again gives us a clock on the head. As I walked out into the streets of Jerusalem with a shiny new knot on my noggin, it was as if God and the church were saying to me, What do you think you were gonna find in there? What do you think you were going to discover in that ornate place? Why do you look for the living among the dead? The scripture is clear. He is not here. He is risen. When we come to sacred places like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, the Cathedral at Notre Dame, or any other place that has special spiritual meaning for you. We can meet the risen Jesus, but he is not hidden in the walls or that steeple or in the organ or in the pews, and he sure doesn't just sit around in here waiting for people to show up. Christ is alive in the gathering of his body. His presence abides in the people who are following him right now. And that's what I should have seen outside of that tomb. I should have seen the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who had come to say, this may not be the place, but this is the place where we will come to remember together. So make no mistake, the risen Christ is here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is as close to you right now, even closer than the people sitting right next to you. And he's not here because of the building, but because of the people. So whatever power you have felt in this Morning, whatever power you might be feeling in this moment, you are feeling it simply because Jesus promised that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among them. Now, what the place can do is what I just hinted at. It can help us remember when we receive news like the news we received this morning we can come to this place of comfort and be reminded that Christ cries with us when we cry and grieves with us when we grieve. And a special place like this can also help us tap into happier memories. It can bring to mind times in our lives when we saw clearly and felt deeply the blessings of faith and grace and love, baptisms, weddings, Funerals, Christmases, and Easter's past, when a place helps us to remember what is most important in our faith and helps us remember with clarity and with power, then such a place is helping us stay on the path that leads to life, and that is a gracious and precious gift that we can and should cherish. Still, if we came here today thinking that the place was the important thing, Easter is here to clock us on the head with the message that at least in some respects, he is not here. Just as Christ was not in the tomb, Christ is not here, and that is the truly good news of this day. Christ is not in the tomb, and he's not in the tomb because his presence has been loosed upon the world. He has broken free of the things that constrained him and constrained us. Sin could not hold him, and that means sin cannot hold you either. Death could not hold him, and that means death cannot hold you either. Walls could not hold him, and that means the walls that have hemmed you in are gone. And you have been spiritually set free. Now, Christ does not promise that your life will be easy, or that it will be free of pain, or that you will always get what you want, or if, that you, if you just believe hard enough, that you will be rich and happy. What he does promise is that all of the things that really imprison us, sin, grief, pain, failure, death, that all of those things that try to hem us in will not hem us in anymore, that those walls have been torn down and crushed. Our sins have been cast into the deepest sea where they will be remembered no more. And we are reminded once more that under the reign of the risen Christ, death does not have the last word. So why do we keep seeking the living among the dead? Even when death seems strong, Easter knocks us on the head to remind us that Christ is alive. The walls could not hold him. Sin could not hold him. Not even death could hold him. He is here because we are here. He is here because you are here. And the tomb, is merely a way to remember that Christ is not there, that he lives and reigns with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.